I just got rid of mine. So, hey, you did some cleaning back here. If I if I um, if I give you my um, video to make a DVD on Friday, will that be soon enough to get it back for next week so I can show it to the kids? Do you think? Well, I can have Leonard bring it to you. Well, I want to I want to finish kindergarten this week, and then next week I'll show it. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Doing all right? Sun's shining. It's a nice morning. That's right. That's right. Well, happy Mother's Day, all the mothers. I'm sure Leonard will talk about it a little more later. But um, if you want, stand up and we'll praise God. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you so much for this beautiful morning, this, uh, this place you've made for all of us to come together and be together and praise you, God. So as we sing these songs to you, as we hear your word, we just pray that um, growth is made in all our lives, God closer to you, become better servants, disciples, a better church, better brothers and sisters. Um, so we just pray for this day and this time together. God, we love you and we're here for you. rescued us the cross delivered all our hearts from fear our hope is here you came to make a way Jesus you came to raise the dead to life our song will rise oh great mighty king you our offering our hearts before 
the assurance that he anchored as we face the wave of death when these trials give way to glory as we draw our final breath we will cross that great horizon clouds behind Life secure and the calm will be the better for the storms that we endure. Christ, the shore of our salvation, ever faithful, ever true. We will hold fast to the Amen. Let's go ahead and have a seat, everybody. I'd like to welcome you all today. Today is a special day. Uh, we want to recognize our mothers who are, who are with us today, and grandmothers and great-grandmothers, and, uh, and um, all women for that matter, uh, as we think about that. I don't know if there's any great-grandmothers in the, in the group. Um, I, I'm just curious. I want to do a little survey here. We have one great-grandmother there. Holy cow, wow. Let's start off with great, great, great grandmothers. Okay, so do the math. Any great, great, great grandmothers? Any grandmothers who would say, I am great, great, great? <laughs> well, there we go, okay. All right, how about great, great grandmothers? All right, back to that again. No? Uh, great grandmothers? Okay. Um, Brian's grandmother, did you, did you raise your hand back there? No, I didn't think so. Okay, so she's not claiming her grandson. Well, obviously there's an issue there, and we won't go into it. But I uh, just want to uh, honor all of those who um, are enjoying this special day. God said, okay, you know what, winter, stop already. We're going we're gonna to move on to spring. And isn't it nice to just go outside and just see the radiant beauty? I think that's God's way of just smiling on, on, um, on that, that beautiful side of uh, the other half of male and female. And it's, uh, it's certainly a joy to um, uh, be together with you guys and just think about 
what that means as far as the significance, which we'll get into the message. But I uh, just wanted to let you know that we have something very special planned for not just our mothers, but for all women. Uh, next week, um, as this sort of has developed, mothers were, were the initial thought, but we want to be inclusive in this. So next week we'll be gathering um, after church at 11, and um, if, uh, uh, if, if you haven't signed up yet, please do in the studio, uh, because we're going to have uh, our women's tea, and uh, Rachel's going to bring the message, and she's honing it and refining it and adjusting it and making it so that it will be just perfect. Uh, so looking forward to that. And uh, hopefully you all can, uh, can make it so that we can just celebrate with intentionality um, that cohort of our people. And if you have a friend or anybody that you know that you'd like to bring along with you, we encourage that as well. So just uh, again, uh, if you have your message notes, uh, you do want to hook your peepers on about, uh, uh, Brittany listed eight things here, eight activities. Let's just call this your list of chores. How about your honeydew list? Um, you know, mom language for sure, or spouse language. We have a lot going on and some good things, and I want you to just pay attention to what each of these things are on, this, on, on the back of the message notes because some of them apply to your life and some of them may not, but hopefully none of them will escape you because... Uh, we are coming out of the, you know, the, the, the pandemic just swinging. We want to be alive as a church. We don't want to be just busy. We want to do things that actually intentionally um, follow the pathways that Jesus is unfolding for us so that we can connect with him and with each other on a deeper level. Um, so we're trying to avoid just being busy for busy's sake. Everything we do is designed to make us better disciples, better followers, to know the fellowship, to know all those things that we've talked about during Lent. Um, so good things happening. Um, and then uh, as, uh, as we do that, I also wanted to do something a little bit different with uh, prayer concerns today. I know we've, we've been getting a lot of them. What I want to do um, is, is at the end of the service, I'm going to invite you if, you, if you have a prayer concern, uh, to, to meet myself or uh, Rachel in the uh, studio, and we're happy to pray for you guys and uh, put down anything that you might have on your heart that we as a church can be praying for. Um, so with that said, uh, we're going to open up the message time uh, just by going to the Lord. Would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, we know that you not only are the giver of life and breath, you are Lord over all. And yet, in the economy of how you've made things and put things in order, we know that our lives are, are, are first sourced from the very life-giving, nurturing presence of mothers who, in the miracle of creation, have, have played that key role in bringing us into the world and then attaching to us and enabling us to see life through the lens of, 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 of love that uh, we trust originally came from you. So, Father, we thank you for uh, mothers and, and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and great-great-grandmothers and on and on. We just thank you for all the women who have gathered here today. And, Lord, even as we think about them, we know that in our memory, some of us have mothers who are now with you, and we take 
joy in knowing that the struggle that they faced in life is, is no longer their burden. And also the expectation of being reunited is the hope that we carry into this room. And we thank you, Father, that you have not only blessed us in this rich way by design through how you've made us fearfully and wonderfully, we thank you, Father, that as we celebrate your son, we, we come alongside those who uh, have played this special role in our lives. And we just want to lift them up to you in a spirit of celebration. We thank you that even your creation, which is a, uh, a way of declaring your handiwork and your praise, is uh, radiant uh, today as we gather. And we trust, Father, that is your way of just smiling upon their lives. And Lord, we also know that there are many who bring into this place burdens and pain and things that if we were to catalog all of them, we would probably be overwhelmed. And I know the mothers in the group are not excluded from any of that, but in many ways uh, bear much of it. And so I pray that you would help us as we seek you today, not only through lifting up our hearts before your throne in song, but through the word that uh, we receive as daily nourishment. So please help us, Father, as we take what you say and we bring it to bear upon the lives that we are living, the challenges that we are facing, that we would know from you your grace and your truth in ways that minister and strengthen and encourage and build up. And as we just consider all of those characteristics again, we we see them embodied in, in, in those first people that we experience, our mothers. And so, Father, just continue to um, allow that to ripple out through time and space as we draw from your character and as we relate to others as you have first related to us. Bless the message that we're about to receive, that it would be daily bread for us as well. And as we pray the Lord's Prayer together, Lord, I pray that you... Help us to have the mind of a disciple, receiving it perhaps for the first time and trusting that as you call us, you will enable us to do those things you, you, you ask us to do. So would you, you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, we're looking at um, uh, the latter part of Luke chapter 14, and interestingly enough, um, it's, it's funny how the, the Bible passages that we are experiencing together parallel in, in a lot of ways what we go through in the course of our week. And a lot of times the themes just have a lot to do with what we are attending to in the moment. And one of those things that uh, is drawn out of this is how we as people who are committed to the Lord learn to relate to one another well. And I know family is the place where we start the, the, the process of learning the skill set of how it is that we can talk to other people, communicate with other people, trust other people, experience the, the, the highs and lows of life together with people. 
Yet somewhere in the mix, we find in Scripture that um, things didn't always go the way that they were supposed to in the Bible. And for a very long time, it appeared that family and relationships and everything that we long for in life to be made right didn't have the prospect of hope until Jesus showed up on the landscape. And as he did, he began to bring to birth, to use that metaphor, a vision of a kingdom that had never been imagined before until he brought it into being through the conversations, through the sermons, through all of the encounters. They became aware that there is something happening here that's going to change everything. I don't know if you've ever had that experience or not, but the first time that ever happened to me was when my wife said, hey, guess what? I'm pregnant. I'm like, are you sure? And she said, well, here's the, the little, you know, stickometer thing. And she said, it says, and I said, but yeah, could, could it be wrong? And she's like, no, it is, uh, it's either right or it is right. Immediately, my head started to spin. And I thought about the gravity of what this meant. Because all of a sudden, something came to bear upon my day that changed my life from that day forward. And that was the realization, not in theory, not in possibility, not in prospect, not in hope, but in reality. There is a child on the way. You better be ready. And my thought was, I'm not ready. I don't know if I'll ever be ready. I have had a lot of responsibilities as a human being, but I've never had the responsibility for the life and the well-being of another developing human being. And honestly, I was overwhelmed, and I thought, man, I don't know if I can do this. And my wife's just looking at me like, just suck it up. And let's, let's get on with the task at hand. So through the course of time, you know, you go through Lamont's classes and you do things that um, prepare the nest and you, you start to tune into stuff that you never tuned into be, because before it was like there was a, there was a universe and you were at the center of it and, and, and your wife... Uh, was revolving around it, and then she showed me that it was more like she was at the center, and my life went around hers, but it was sort of a power struggle to see where the actual, you know, center of the, of the universe was, and then when that message came and said, there's a child coming, immediately I knew what the new order of the universe was going to be, and it wasn't going to be me at the center of it. Well, challenges come in, in a lot of different forms, and right out the gate, when our daughter Maya was born, and the, uh, the, the, the doctor who was responsible for delivering her looked at me as she came into the world and said, would you like to cut the umbilical cord? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> I mean, I'm averse to all things biological, which had to change, of course. Maybe that was his way of just sort of hazing me a little bit and saying, hey, it's going to get even more interesting than this before we're all done. I looked at him, and I just said, well, isn't that why we pay you? And, and so, you know, he just shook his head and, and did what he had to do. And, and he cut the umbilical cord, and then, you know, Mayim was just doing her thing. 
not looking terribly great initially, but then she started to perk up and became beautiful. There's something very special that psychologists say happens in that moment when that umbilical cord is cut and there's another connection that is created at the same time. And that is the, the emotional bond that a child creates with a mother or the necessity of that bond that if it doesn't happen, it will actually alter that child's view of every relationship that will follow. And so it is a critical moment. And you know, as I, as I talk about these things, I know that in the backdrop of every mother and every potential mother and every mother who wanted to be that but couldn't is that sense of deep and profound pain. And we know that it goes all the way back to the garden. It wasn't God's intention, but there's something about living and trying to function in a broken world with relationships that are not working as well as they were by design supposed to. There's something about the pain of childbirth. All these things reflective of the reason why we need a Savior. And as Jesus came into the world, he did want to create a new environment for us to bond in and perhaps rebond with God. Because much of the Bible is about how we've disconnected from God, how we really can't even attach to other people well. And yet, in a very beautiful form of illustration, if that process of attachment happens between a mother and a child, the prospect for that child's well-being just, just increases a hundredfold. And that notion of attachment is something that we don't really think about a whole lot until we realize later on that we can't relate well to other people we want to. I mean, just think about yourself in junior high and high school, and you're attracted to that person, and you're like, I would love to just have a conversation with that person, but I'm not very good at it. I don't really know much about dating. I don't know much about talking to a person of the opposite sex that I'm attracted to. How do I learn? Where do I get the tools? Where do I get the skill set? And what you find out is once you kind of develop that a little bit, then it gets even more complicated because then there are other expectations. Like, are you going to open the door for me? Or maybe because of the feminist class I went through, you don't open up that door for me. And then the confusion begins, and you're like, I don't know if I should do this or I shouldn't do this. And if you grew up in, that, in, the, in the sexual revolution, you know that there's a lot of signals that you get regarding who you're supposed to be as your own gender and how you're supposed to relate to people of other genders. And it's, at this point, it's at a state of such disarray and confusion that a lot of people are like, I'd love to date, but I don't even know where to begin. Don't even know how. Not even going to bother. And I know that when the Lord looks at that, he says, that is not my intent. My intent has always been for you to attach but sin has had a way of undoing our identity, our sense of who we are. And it's had a way of redefining that along lines that don't work very well. And I have to be honest with you, if it wasn't for a praying grandmother, and I'm guessing a lot of times a praying mother, I wouldn't be here. Because there was a recognition 
that if that kid is going to make it, he needs help. And I suppose I'm not the only one. But what I appreciate now is where they themselves were drawing their help from. And in this case, it was the Lord. It was the realization that, yeah, there is a lot of brokenness. There is a lot of pain. There are people that come into this place every Sunday, and they bring it, and they have no one to share it with except the Lord. There are people who have come into this place and say, I want to attach to my husband, but he's abusive. And I don't want to disattach because the kids. And there are people who come into this place who say, I am not very nice to the people around me and I want to be a better person, but I, I struggle. And there are people who come into this place saying, I just would like to find a mate, somebody that is a godly person that I could spend my, the rest of my life with. And I have to tell you, Jesus anticipated all of those pain points, and those were just a few. And I could probably just spend the rest of my time naming all the ways that it breaks down. And the one thing I know about the coming of the Son of God, and that language is, is definitely intentional, is that God wanted to show a better way of being able to relate. And you don't have to cut an umbilical cord to get there. Thank you, Dr. Houseworth. But um, you do have to, however, look to a, perhaps another doctor, the ultimate physician, and say, how do we do it? Now, when I was a kid, people were raised on Dr. Spock. Not from Star Trek, different Spock. You guys remember him? Okay. Sounded good at first, but after a while, it was like having my own kids, reading that stuff and thinking, I don't think that works. I don't think that's in tune with the real world. But it did create a lot of narcissistic personalities, and, um, and maybe that's not the kind of fruit that we're looking for. Now, when Jesus is showing up on the landscape, He's tackling a lot of social dilemmas. And a lot of them have to do with honor and shame. And when we talk about our own lives, we probably think more about shame than we do honor, perhaps. But he's trying to say there's another way of looking at this that can help with that as well. And it centers in me. And I don't think Jesus is trying to say, I'm an option amongst all the others. He's saying, I have come to fix the problem. It's one of the many reasons why I stand up here every Sunday. Many people teach classes here. Others serve. Others try to find ways to make in informal ways and in informal conversations God come alive because we all trust the fact that there is an answer and the answer is our Lord Jesus. And as Jesus is taking the substance of our need, he's drawing not only from the resources from the Father, he's drawing from what he experienced as a child, as 
the son of a mother. And we all know that Jesus' mother, Mary, when she came to the realization, I'm going to have a child, she didn't freak out like I did because somebody taught her along the way there are godly hopes and promises that are huge signposts to this moment, and you are at the center of this moment. And she just bursted forth in praise as we read uh, in the book of Luke in, in chapter 2, the opening pages of how a mother looks at the appearance of the Messiah in our world as only a mother can. And in that beautiful expression, you hear words that echo another mother from way back in the Old Testament named Hannah, who could not have a child, who went to the temple, and she was just pouring her heart out to the Lord day after day, so much so that the, the priest there said, she's been drinking. But in reality, she was just heartbroken. And God saw her pain. And he said, I'm going to make it right. Now, how God does that, when he does it, where he does it, and how he does it in each of our lives varies from person to person. And in this particular case, she gave him a son named Samuel. And Samuel was the necessary prophet who would come alongside the necessary king, David. So these are pretty epic things that this mother happens to be engaged in. But in the backdrop is this profound pain that started the whole thing off to begin with. And I don't know if Mary's was any different because her husband said that the minute that he found out, he's thinking, okay, I, gotta, I like her, but obviously I got I to gotta undo this attachment that we have because it's obviously not going to work. And she felt the pain of that. And as God showcases the beauty of these mothers, he doesn't hesitate to include their pain and also to help us to understand that when he's at the center of it, when he's at the center of it, it finds its place and they find their consolation. Now, Jesus is drawing from that experience, that story, and the kingdom mandate that he has to recreate creation. And as he's telling people about what that means, large crowds start to fall and thinking that, hey, this guy has something new and different to say. He's worth paying attention to. I wonder where this is going. And as he's heading to Jerusalem, they start to kind of tag along, and there's sort of this parade and Jesus could have looked backward and said, hey, look at all the people following me. But here's, here's his concern. He wants those people to attach to God in the right way. And so the moment that they connect with him, he wants to make sure that the type of relationship that is being created there is the best kind possible. Because his role is to create an attachment. 
between us and all of our brokenness and all our messiness and a holy God. And people are starting to follow, they're starting to attach, but he's saying, now listen carefully. There's only one way that we can do this, one way only. So you, you, you better take note here. And here's what he says to the crowds. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he can't be my disciple. You're probably saying, wait a minute. Did you say hate? Well, it's an interesting word because that's how it's often translated in the Greek. But it's not so much, hey, Rachel, I hate you. No, it's, hey, Rachel, I love you, but I love Jesus even more. And he's the one who will define how it is that I love you and I love Brent, etc. That's what he's trying to say. It is a point of contrast. It is a way of saying you have to prefer one over the other first before everything else works as it should. And that's why if you're new to the Bible, you read that and you're like, holy cow, I did not know Jesus was anti-family. But the funny thing about his whole way of doing this is he is more pro-family than you would ever imagine. But he's trying to show that we prioritize things most of the time not in the best way. And so here's what he's not saying to the crowds and to you and I. He's not saying that, hey, you know what? On Mother's Day, pastor said, I got to check out from my family. So you call your mom up on Mother's Day. You say, happy Mother's Day. See you around never. That is not what he's saying, okay? He's not saying you should split off from your family. And he isn't saying that I am not for the family. Because things always have a context. And Jesus has a purpose here that he's trying to clarify. And at times, it's so dramatic, it shocks us. But how many times have we, have we initiated discernible, healthy change in our lives without something shocking us out of our complacency? I, I would say every time that I got on the right track, in a way that said, you know, you really got to make a radical change here. It always involves something shocking my system, something happening that woke me up, something that said, oh, wow, I, I, I'm looking at things completely different now. And he was trying to put them in that space. And he's saying, and a lot of you have been doing it your own way for so long. I'm not saying that you should just do things your own way at the expense of your family and forget about them. That's not really what we're doing here. So I want to clarify that because what Jesus is challenging us to do is something that, well, I want to, I want to actually go to the, the main idea, back up for just a second. Because when we give Jesus authority over our lives, 
which is where he's going with this, he'll begin to do a new thing that starts inside of us. And that will create a rippling effect into every part of your life. Everything that you do will start to be impacted by this new thing that he's doing. It will affect all of our relationships. And Jesus is saying to the crowds that are following, you guys like what I'm doing, don't you? This is kind of sensational. It's sort of like, hey, this is the new thing. Hey, this is different than anything I've seen. And it's more of a spectacle than it is a way of saying, hey, we're hungry and we're looking for the Messiah and you're doing what we think we need. A lot of those people were just tagging along because it was, well, it was, it was kind of the popular thing to do, actually. It was sort of like the new interesting thing to engage with. And it may have a shelf life of an hour, a day, a week. But everybody knows when the next new big thing comes along, we'll be chasing after that. And Jesus, of all people, especially knew that's how, we, that's how we roll. We like novelty. We like new things. We like excitement. And because we like novelty and new things and excitement, a lot of times our relationships don't work. Because not everybody in the relationship says, hey, we're all about that. And so Jesus says, we've got to change in a pretty dramatic way what is important to you. And so you better think about it carefully if you're going to come my way. Now, what I appreciate about what Jesus is doing is he doesn't say, hey, follow me, and then we'll kind of do this for a while and have some fun. But in reality, it's no different than, you know, getting a free vacation to Branson. Hey, you can stay in this this condo. We're going to give you some free tickets. You can go to the show. You can ride that ride. It'll all be fun. Just a little seminar we need to, we need to have you come and, and hear after you're done doing all that stuff. And you go there, and you're like, holy cow, they're trying to sell me some crazy big condominium that I would never use. And now I'm stuck here for three hours listening to the sales pitch. That's not what I signed up for. And just sitting right out of the gate, hey, this is what we're doing. Either begin to pay attention and absorb the substance And trust what I'm saying, or this isn't for you. He's very blunt. So what is Jesus challenging us to do? He's saying that, essentially, everybody has priorities. And I want you to begin to prioritize the way of life, the kingdom way of life, I'm showing you over the life that you experience in your own families, in your own ambitions, in your own workplace, in your own spaces that you live in. And I want you to see something as I do that, because every relationship that you have will change if I'm in the middle of it. And for some of us, we grew up in homes that weren't that Christian. There was, you know, some mention to God, and, you know, we went to church on Easter, and that's pretty cool, and, 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 and as, as we did that, I, we weren't allowed to do that in church on Easter, by the way. Um, that was my total impression, and 
I really didn't know what role religion played in my life uh, until we all kind of woke up to the fact that it's not working. None of it's working. Uh, I've seen divorce and remarriage personally in ways that are painful. And I thought, well, I'm, if I follow this script, why would I expect anything to change? But there's something about prioritizing Jesus that says there's a new script. And where the things that you experienced in your family were a source of blessing because others of you have had fathers and mothers that were very serious about their faith and you couldn't help but absorb, even in the dysfunctionality of any family, those things that they said, these are important. And you're blessed. So where they overlap, that's awesome. A lot of work's already been done. But where they compete, we have to discern the better way. And this is where it gets tricky. Because as a family, we have priorities. And I would like to think that most of them mesh with one big factor, and that is the presence of Jesus in our lives. Now, whenever I became a Christian, I also used to be a, a, a motorcycle racer, and we got out of it for a few years, and I remember my dad coming home with a motorcycle saying, hey, we're going to start racing again. And I said, there's only one problem, as much as I want to do that, because that was my life's passion. That was the thing that I oriented my life around, had decals all over, you know, the window of my, of my back window of my car, had, um, you know, on my mirror, I had motorcycle helmet, I had pictures all over the place. That was the thing that defined my life until I realized that thing's not big enough to define my life. It's not big enough to answer the questions that I have. I mean, I had a Harley-Davidson repair manual, but it didn't have in the, in the appendix, how is it that I relate to other people? How is it that I relate to somebody that I might make my spouse? It did not have that information. How is it that I can find a life that has moral coherence and spiritually integrated in a way that I'm a whole person? There's only one person, Jesus. And I had to tell my dad, Dad, as much as I want to go racing and as much as you and I have had such incredible bonding experiences together, man. And that was a heartbreaking moment for me because it was a real test, I think, but it also, because I had to give up that, that new thing that I was embracing became that much more important. Because it wasn't like, hey, I'm embracing you, but I don't have any other, anything else to do. I'm kind of bored. I'm embracing you because I have other options that are pretty appealing options. But of all of them, you count the most. And I can assure you, that has never changed. And it's not that I hate my dad or my mom and mostly my siblings. I'm just kidding, just kidding. We get along. 
hope they're not listening, or my own wife or my own children. It's not that I hate those guys. It's just that those guys in a relationship with me cannot work unless I have that priority of Jesus in my life. Because when I try to figure it out, I'm always asking him, how do I do my next move? How do I keep my ego out of this? How do I become a respectable human being that, that a wife would say, I'll submit to that? Because what wife wants to submit to a human being that's not respectable? Where do I learn respectability? Well, I certainly didn't have it in big supply before I met him. But after I met him, I hope that all those things that needed to happen, that needed to be tweaked, that needed to be reprioritized, that needed to give me a spiritual center and moral coherence made it possible for a human being to become who they were supposed to become. But the reality is that's what this is all about. Because what you believe will inform how you behave. It will. There is just no getting around it. What you believe about your life, about your relationships, about your opportunities, is based strictly on what will, will rather produce rather the, the following behavior. And Jesus is attacking our core beliefs so that our behaviors will begin to reflect the reality of those beliefs in, in your life and mine. And there's just no way around it. If you, if you don't feed on the Lord and his word and things that do with church, you're going to feed on stuff out there. And it's going to tell you how you should believe regarding relationships, regarding your own priorities. And my guess is, chances are that belief will inform your behavior in such a way that it will start to break down again. Because if we're ever living in a moment where it's all about me, I don't know which moment we're looking at, but... That seems to be pretty clear right now. And so there is a lot of, for lack of a better way, narcissism, criticism, skepticism, defensiveness. And we're, we're good at being critical. I mean, some of us, you know, you'll go and you'll watch a football game or a basketball game, and then you'll be like, that guy dropped the ball, that guy's messed up, that guy, he should be traded. And you're making all these judgments while you're sitting on your couch, eating your bag of chips, saying, I could do that better. And the unreality of it all is just staggering. So person drops the ball, and you're like, he's no good. But you also didn't see the fact that he was being hounded by Shaq O'Neal. 
Have you ever seen Shaquille O'Neal up, up close and personal? Hey, on TV is just enough for me. So could you imagine failing and him smacking you down? You'd be running and dropping the ball too. Some of you guys just drop your phone. And that's, you know, your thing. It is so easy for us to get in that space where we look at the world through the lens of ourselves. Critical, judgmental, hostile, backstabbing. I'm not saying you guys. And when Jesus came, he said, I'm here to show compassion. Because this is a pretty messed up world with a pretty messed up Lord messing everybody up. And I'm here to save you from all of that. I'm here to show you as a way of rescuing you, the God that you worship is a God in whose image you have been made from. We are all image bearers of a good God. And God isn't coming here saying you need to hate those people He's just saying it doesn't work if you don't prioritize me. And we heard that story all the way back in the garden, didn't we? God made everything according to its kind and according to its purpose, and he said it's all laid out, it's all in order. If you just follow it, it'll work. And our response was, yeah, I'm going to try it my way for a while. And it didn't work, and it broke down. And God said, just forget them. No, he said, I'm in a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. They were supposed to be in a relationship with us together. And by design, it was supposed to work, and the relationships were supposed to be healthy and good. Our God is a relational God. He understands relationships better than Dr. Phil, Oprah, uh, I don't know, Dr. Oz. I'll just throw some doctors in there. But the, Dr. Seuss, Dr. Spock, um, and the fact is, there's a creational design. And as open as I am to all kinds of relationships, I know that that's the best way. And I know that if you want to have the things that fruitfully flow out of those creational design connections and no blessing, you got to put God first and then work backwards into all your other relationships from there. C.S. Lewis wrote these words, and I think they're kind of timely. He said, we are born helpless. As soon as we are fully conscious, we discover loneliness. We need others physically, emotionally, and intellectually. We need them if we are to know anything, even ourselves. And I think that sums it up very well. Because there is an impulse inside of us that even the most introverted or the most extroverted person will tell you, I'm made for being around people. 
And that is a God-given way of being made. And just to validate that Jesus isn't going off the reservation here, his goal actually is for us to put him at the center. And in John 15, 12, 13, and 16, and 17, and all the dust is settled on all these conversations that we're hearing about in the Gospel of Luke, he says this to people that finally soak it in, they get it, and they prioritize him. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit in your relationship in the best way possible. Fruit that will last. Now, I, I love my friendships here at church, and every time I do a funeral, I grieve. I really do. Because I've had an opportunity to develop friendships with so many people. When we have people leave the church, I grieve. I feel profound loneliness. And I just want the relationships to just go on and on and on forever. Is that wrong? Maybe they're thinking, well, that's a one-way street for you, Leonard. But, you know, as Jesus is saying these words, he says... There is something that emerges out of a healthy relationship that is fruitful, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Now, I'm just going to skip forward through uh, the rest of Luke to ask the question, what is Jesus' ultimate goal? And I think it's this, that every family would be aligned under his lordship. That there would be like some way that he was central to that network of relationships, central to that home, your home. That there is an agreed understanding that of all the other options that we have and options that we said are non-negotiable, Options that we want, they all have to be surrendered to the most important option, and that is to put Jesus first. Jesus said it in other words, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this other stuff that you long for will be added to you. He also wants for you and I prioritize our lives around kingdom priorities. And that involves being active in the church, living under the domain of Christ's lordship, knowing his blessing, trusting that you live in a microcosm of reality, in the larger reality of this world, that microcosm, which the goal is to expand it to where it's completely enveloping the whole earth, that microcosm is life, not in the U.S. of A, but life first and foremost in his kingdom. As your king and mine, as your Lord and mine. And I'm not perfect at following him. And my relationships still have a lot of work to do. 
But I do know this. He's never let me down. He's never not had a way of helping me go through a relationship that I'm struggling with. But what Jesus wants to point out to this crowd of followers that are making a spectacle out of the moment, here's the bottom line for them and for you and for me and for everybody. There's a social cost to pay when we put Jesus first. My dad and I didn't get along for a while. I had to get a whole new group of friends. Um, There are things that don't line up with the priorities of other people that lead them to say, we're friends, but our worlds, they don't overlap anymore. We don't have anything in common. Conversations get weird. And Jesus says, it's, it, it's inevitable. He's not saying write them off. He's just saying that you've got to be a new person to them, and hopefully praying about it, they'll begin to see it. And for some of us, I have a couple of friends that are in the ministry that said when I became a pastor, mm, we like you, but not like that. It's weird. The kingdom has a way of surfacing the dysfunctionality of life apart from the Lord to such a degree that we start asking the question, maybe Jesus has an answer. And once we start to find all the things that he has brought to bear in his life for us, we don't turn back. We realize he is the source. He is the the umbilical cord for life. And that attachment that he creates is the greatest attachment of them all. I truly think when a mother brings a child into the world and they bond through that attachment, it's just another very, perhaps the most powerful way that God wants to show us and showcase to us the attachment that he has for us. And he starts us off new by saying, be born again and get attached correctly. So we, we haul you off to the baptistry, we bury you in those waters, and we bring you out as a new human being in Christ. And then we hope that attachment is what it needs to be for everything that you're saved from and for. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, as we take this moment and we think about how wonderful moms are, even in their brokenness and their pain and their struggle and their stress, And yet there is a profound instinct for connecting and bonding that shows us, Lord, your heart. We thank you for mothers that pray for children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, that they would know you and that in their struggles they would turn to you. And I pray, Father, for those in this room that those very prayers have gone up to your throne for, that maybe. In that place 
where they're saying, God's been nudging me, but it, the, it costs too much. I pray, Father, that you would just break down that wall and that stronghold and just draw us into that space where we capture that new vision for that new thing that I know you will do in, in whatever life, whoever we are in this room, what we will discover when we put you first. So help us, Lord, as a church to be a nurturing place for those that are drawn to you. Help those who are seeking you to find you and to know that great love and that redefining of their lives around your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. We prepare for communion. Will you stand and sing this song with us? An act of submission. my lips so lost for words will kiss your feet kiss your
start to prepare your communion. If you'll bow and join me. Heavenly Father, as we gather here today and as we celebrate our mothers, as we celebrate the sunshine, the book of Luke, and the foundational words that Leonard is sharing with us, we now gather at your table. your foundation, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. I just pray now that as we take these emblems, the bread, your body, and this juice, your shed blood for us, your ultimate sacrifice, your love for us, I just pray that you bless these to our bodies and give us strength to help us set our priorities straight and to love one another. In your son's name we pray, amen. So my Mother's Day gift to you all, moms, grandmothers, great-grandmothers. Going to let you out here only two minutes late as opposed to 20. That's a pretty big deal. No, we're glad you're with us today. Be nice to your moms. And moms that have gone on, just give thanks. And moms-to-be, we'll pray for the moms-to-be. And as we conclude, uh, I'm going to be in the studio if you need prayer. Rachel's going to be there to help you out as well, especially with our ladies' tea. We'd love to have you guys join us next Sunday uh, after church at 11. So please sign up if you haven't, or you can contact the office if you're not sure today, and uh, we'll make sure you're there. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you provide everything that we need for everything that's important in life. Our moms, our siblings, our dads, our friends, our spouses, our children. Thank you, Lord, that you can be at the center of these important and vital life-giving connections that we have with others. Go with us through your spirit, Lord, May the grace and peace and mercy of the Lord be upon everyone here and everyone's home as we leave here with your presence. In Jesus' name.